0: You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network.
1: Hi folks and welcome to episode 14 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today, we have uh, a lovely panel, including someone who complained about our last show, and therefore I said, well, now you have to come on.
0: (laughs) The penalty if you complain is you have to come on and justify your complaints, huh?
1: (laughs) I guess. Or maybe I just need an excuse to get you on. One of the two. Anyway, um, the voice you're hearing there is, I promise it is actually Alison Sheridan, even though it sounds like Alison's evil sister or something, you may have noticed Alison is a little bit under the weather.
0: Oh, I just have a traditional once a year loss of voice. So I feel great, but uh, yeah, it just sounds funny. So that's good.
1: So the cold weather in New York didn't agree with you?
0: I think it's limit cycling. In engineering, you take uh, electronics and hardware that you need to go out into space, that kind of thing. You put it at high temperature, low temperature, high and low humidity. Oh. So going from 75 degrees in LA to 24 in New York and back, I, I blame it all on limit cycling.
1: Well, that makes sense. Or are you're going from a nice warm hotel room into a freezing
0: cold into a nice warm hotel room. <laughs> it was worth it, though. It was fantastic.
1: Well, your pictures are lovely, actually, Which, since this is a photography show, I should say. Yeah, except
0: I did not get to meet Antonio Rosario like I'd hoped.
1: Speaking of which, Antonio, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bart.
2: Hi, Allison. And sorry I missed you while you were in New York, but uh, I hope you feel better, too.
0: I also found out I was within feet of Kenny Lee's office, and I never called him. I I was so Um, mad.
2: Downtown in New York, downtown, right?
0: Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, and finally, the uh, fourth member of our panel is Stefan Lesage from the lovely country of Belgium.
3: Good evening, everyone, and uh, I have to say I'm happy to be in a podcast with uh, Alison. It's the first time uh, I think. Uh, really? Been, really? Yeah, yeah, it's the very first oh. time I'm I'm in a podcast with uh, with you and Alison. So I should get an achievement for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Some sort of scout you know, badge. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is actually a weird internet thing. Is I've met him in person twice. But yeah. not been on a podcast with him. And that it's always the other way around. It was four years before I met Barton person.
1: Yeah. I can't believe, because I'm pretty sure I met you through Alison, Stefan.
3: Uh, could be probably through, through her podcast. Yeah.
1: Anyway, this probably isn't really great listening for people. Photography. <laughs> um, so it is for me. Time, I'm
2: trying to figure out the connections, too. But I'm, right. I'm sort of the odd person out.
1: Well, I know you through Victor. Ah, Right. So who I know through Alison. So actually, Alison is just responsible for everything. <laughs> Seven degrees of Alison Sheridan. Anyway, so last time we had a well, a, a rambling discussion, perhaps, um, on how to buy stuff, which I sort of figured would be a fairly long topic. And I think we ended the last show saying we'd do a part two anyway. But um, Alison, you're an engineer by trade, and you felt that while our rambling topic was fun, it was perhaps a little too rambling.
0: Yeah, I, I thought about this. And again, maybe it is the engineering background. But but in engineering, you start with uh, the, the requirements. So I expected when you said you were going to walk people through how to choose their first camera or their first, let's call it big girl camera, it would be that you would start with the requirements on what kind of photography did the person want to do. And I was thinking along the lines of, you know, I want to do landscape photography or I really like those portraits with the really uh, great bokeh, that that sharp focus in the fuzzy background. Or I want to do flowers uh, or um, I've got little kids and they're running around really fast in the house and I want to capture those shots without a flash. You know, those are the kinds of things I would have thought you would start with would be the requirements. I have more complaints beyond that, but that was the beginning of what what bothered me.
1: Yeah, I I can see how... I Probably 10 years ago, I would have agreed with you as well, but I don't know if that's actually the right way to go today. And Hmm. the reason I say that is because no one comes to their first big girl camera, as you call it, without having taken photographs, because everyone is taking pictures all the time from the moment you're like a toddler these days. So my thinking these days is that you should ask people what their pain point is. What is it that you can't do now that you want to do?
0: Ooh, that's a good way to go at it. Yeah, so if you're using your your iPhone or Android phone and you're not getting those pictures of your little kids running around quite the way you wanted them, what would you what should you upgrade to to get those kind of portraits?
1: Yeah, so so I think I'm not sure I actually said it as explicitly last time, but I think what I was driving at the whole way through the show was that find what's find what's not the way you want and then try to fix that problem.
2: Can I throw in a little quick story? Oh yeah. Minor story. Like um when I was in junior high school and I was photographing with an Instamatic, and those—I'm dating myself, of course—but those of Remind us were Instamatic oh. was a very small format film camera. It was smaller than 35 millimeter, but it was oh. a basic. It was basically a box with a lens, and was you. Was it 110? A car- yeah, 110. 110.
0: Yeah, 110.
1: I had one of those. That was my. Yeah, and you stuck a
2: cartridge in the back, and you took pictures with it, and. I ended up, I, in school, I was, we were about to go on a school trip, and I spoke to my father, and who was a photographer, and I said, look, I'm, I'm just at this point, like, the, this, I can recognize that this camera is not taking good pictures. I need something else. What can I get? And he steered me towards a 35-millimeter Pentax at that time. And so, as you're saying, Bart, when you're saying this, I'm recognizing it's the same thing. It was like there's some point that you reach a limit, and you say, I know this can't go any farther. What do I need to get? To, to go the next step. And so I think it's funny that we were talking about digital and it's like, wow, it's the same thing for me for film. and That's actually how I got in, involved in photography.
1: But isn't that always the problem? Because you buy your first big girl camera, as we're going to now call them for the rest of the show, and you probably get it with a kit lens. And it has a, you know, a kit lens is usually fairly varied, but not spectacularly good in any direction. And then you bump into its edge somewhere. So then you buy a second lens and then you bump it to some other edge and then you buy something else and then you bump into something else and you buy a new body. But your whole ph- photographic life is dealing with pain points.
0: And you know, it might evolved. be true with everything. If you know, oh When I goodness. bought my first drill, you know, there was something I couldn't do with it and I went up to the next level, that kind of thing. Maybe it's true with vacuum cleaners too, I don't know. <laughs>
1: my old Nilfisk seems like it's older than me and I haven't hit a pain point yet apart from the fact that I have to do it every week.
0: <laughs> and that's the pain point, see? That's where you need a Roomba.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what my cat would make of a Roomba. Anyway. <laughs>
0: um, you said you had other <laughs> points to make, Allison? Yeah. And, and now I I should preface this. I should have prefaced this with I love the show. I love this show. The minute it comes out, it's one of the first things I listen to. And I and I love this one too, but like I said, it was a little more um uh randomly organized than I would have I would have liked. And one of the things um, that I felt was that the mirrorless cameras got a real short shif- shrift in the, uh, in the show. Uh, when I went to buy my mirrorless camera, I went to Antonio to ask for advice. And luckily, he talked me immediately out of the Nikon I was looking at. And he was a Nikon guy, and I'm a Nikon girl. So, you know, that was kind of interesting. And the reasons he gave were spectacular, which might be good to go through. Um, but I really think that mirrorless cameras fit uh, a category of people that might not be BART but there there's you know and and part of what you had said in the show was that you're never going to get the uh lack of noise uh or you're always going to have more noise on a on a mirrorless camera say let's say of the same vintage was a point you made um as as a DSLR because you've got a bigger sensor But the argument for that is then why aren't you using a full-frame sensor? Why are you compromising and using a DSLR? So maybe we could get into this discussion of who is a mirrorless camera for? What problem does it solve for people?
1: I thought Gaz actually articulated that very well in the last show where he said that, you know, he had family members who had a big camera and just never used it. It gathered dust. They moved to mirrorless and now they're getting infinitely more out of their camera because they're actually taking pictures.
0: Right, but we didn't talk at all about the capability of that. I mean, you could get a you could get a um oh, who makes the G10? The uh Canon? Canon? Canon. Yeah, Canon G10 point and shoot. That is also something people would use a lot more than they would maybe a DSLR that they don't want to carry around because they can throw it in their purse or the pocket, right? So what is it that mirrorless cameras give you that's more than say the um uh, the point and shoots the high end really nice point shoots, like what canon makes versus uh, what is the the fuji that you 've been talking about uh Antonio that does not have interchangeable lenses i mean there there 's there 's really four sort of categories here that are above smartphone but real cameras
2: and I just got a new one yesterday,
0: yeah, I saw that I thought that might be fun to talk about yeah so. Yeah. For example, my my uh, uh, daughter's mother-in-law went on a safari to Africa and she bought, a will call it a point and shoot, I don't know what these are actually called, but it has like a 400 millimeter lens on it. So she got these spectacular pictures of like lions, I mean, filling the frame. They got their face in it and she was very, very far away from them. It was the perfect camera for what she wanted to do. Might not be what Bart would want to do with it, right? Well... You're asking me? Sure. Wait, sure. Because oh, yeah, no, I and... was thinking
2: like, you know, well, if I was going on a safari, I might not necessarily buy a new camera. I might buy a new lens for <laughs> it. I mean, you know, it's like what is the, you know, you were asking before, Alison, about what's the what's the problem you want to solve? Um, you know, whether it's a mirrorless or it's a DSLR with a long lens, is is it, you know, one's not necessarily going to be better than the other unless it's you don't want to carry so much stuff with you. Well,
0: can we categorize uh, what would push someone to a DSLR or a mirrorless camera? And, and by the way, mirrorless doesn't necessarily mean it's not a full-frame sensor, too. Uh, what's, what is the advantage today? If somebody's going out to buy one, they can go DSLR or mirrorless. What, what, would, what would make you go to DSLR? Because I don't, I'm not sure I see a compelling reason for most people.
2: Mm, well, the first thing that is popping in mind, for me, I started thinking about you know, weight, you know, um, how much stuff I want to carry. With me, and I would think a nice basic. uh, I'm thinking of a Fuji, um, uh, the new the new system, the XT1, which is looks like a DSLR, but it's not. It's a mirrorless. XT1, yeah, XT1. And uh, the uh, comparable system in DSLR could be a lot heavier, so you can actually be carrying a lot less um, stuff with you. And I'm thinking like so. Flip the question
0: around. Why would somebody want a DSLR today? What would what would be the, the the point where you'd flip over to that?
1: Well, you see, it's all sort of sliding scales, right? So there's always there's an advantage you get, and usually the price you pay is bulk and or how much of your wallet is gone when you're finished. <laughs>
2: uh, well, can I just parentheses that, Alison? That's a very good question because there's a lot of photographers now who are switching to mirrorless. Um, yeah, yeah, and please. someone and someone and someone just said, if you want to be famous on the internet, write a story about why you're switching from DSLR to mirrorless, <laughs> which I might do. Just. <laughs> but I mean, you know, we're in this we're in this place now where I think the the you know, quote-unquote mirrorless technology is starting to equal if not in some cases being better than some DSLRs and I think people are beginning to switch. I'm not sure there's a, you know, this or that. I think people are going to be saying, you know, I think we're going to start to see a lot more of these mirrorless systems um, come into play. I think you might see higher end photographers using DSLRs because you need to have um, a camera that's more robust and can take a lot more uh, physical abuse. abuse. Um, whereas the mirrorless might be a little bit more, <clears throat> excuse me, might be a little bit more um, fragile and not, you know, you're not going to take a mirrorless into a, a, a war zone or you might not use okay. it, you know, for shooting heavy
3: can duty I, sports. Just to can I? Can I uh, can you,
1: yeah, no, go on, go on, Safan.
3: Because I, I think we're mixing up two things here. Uh, it's not because you, you talk about a, mirror, a mirrorless camera that you have a, a smaller, compactor camera. The Sony Alphas are as big as, uh, as uh, the, the DSLR, but they don't have a mirror in size, if I remember it correctly.
0: Mm, they're pretty small. Well, no, because the they're Alphas,
3: the size
1: the, of a D40. Like, so it's, it's the they same? not? I was about to interrupt no, 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 with, with the really. points they made. I have a colleague who shoots Sony.
3: Sony and- Alphas. Yeah, his
1: his Sony Alpha looks like a DSLR. You couldn't tell it apart in a lineup. But instead of having a lens, a mirror that flips up and down, it's it's purely electronic inside. So it is mirrorless. So I think part of
0: the problem is you guys aren't actually being precise when you say Sony Alpha because there's a whole lot of Sonys that are Alphas. So like the, uh, what is it, the A6 and the A7? The A7 is a full-frame sensor uh, Sony mirrorless camera. And it's very small. It's a lot smaller. It's a D forty.
1: Yeah, so anyway, what I want to say is a lot of the time when we're talking mirrorless, what we probably mean is micro four-thirds size. Yeah,
3: micro four-thirds or compact cameras.
0: But that, that isn't the same thing. Let let's, Somebody not... define it.
2: Define uh, mirrorless? Well,
1: well, which, which are we talking about? Because you said, why would I go between a mirrorless or a DSLR? And the, the way you phrased the question, I sort of assumed you meant it in the context of micro four-thirds.
0: Nope. Nope, I meant mirrorless. You
2: know, you know, as I'm listening to this, I think we're starting to slide down a, a, an, a weird path. Because, you know, we've got mirrorless systems that have sensors that are as large as DSLRs. Mm-hmm. Oh. So the, the new camera I just got was the uh, the Fuji X100T. It's got the same sensor size as my D my Nikon D7000. It's an AP, mm-hmm. C, APS-C um, size. So it's a 1.3. Sorry, 1.5 magnification scale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Going down this path of, like, you know, there there's very little difference in the way that my new Fuji looks compared to my D7000, um, other than the fact that it's smaller. But, I mean, the files are, you know, with the same kind of lens are going to look pretty similar, you know. So... I'm just wondering if we're just sliding down this. We're getting really
1: yeah. Can, can I just sort of see, to slightly get back to, to where Alison yeah. was asking us to go? So, fr- from my point of view, whether or not the the camera works, we have a mirror flap up and down, isn't of particular interest to me. No. no. So the reason I I, I still have what you, a traditional DSLR isn't so much because it has a mirror that flaps up and down, because the chances are, next time I may not have a mirror that flaps up and down. But what I am very likely to still have is. At least the size of sensor I have now, definitely no smaller, because for me, it's important because I take so many photographs in low light, I do want the bigger sensor. And also, the smaller your sensor gets, the harder it is to get those smooth backgrounds because of the way the optics work. So basically, the the smaller you make the sensor, the closer you are to an old-fashioned pinhole camera, which basically has infinite depth of field. So
0: if that's true, why don't you have a full-frame sensor?
1: Because there's another there's two there's two reasons I don't. They're bloody expensive. Expensive, and every lens gets more expensive because it has to be physically bigger, and that that's too big for me.
0: <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, it's trade
1: off. Uh, it's always trade offs.
3: Len- lenses don't always have to be bigger because I know I started with my Canon, which was not a full frame, uh, and uh, I, I had uh, f- four lenses. By now I have uh, a six D, which is a full frame. A camera, I can still use three or the four lenses. There is one lens which I can't use anymore because the fitting is different or, or, or something, but other than that, I, I kept my same lenses from a uh, not, non-full frame camera to my full frame camera. I think it's and, the and same that, with and Nikon. That makes...
1: If you use them at the full size? Or did you buy lenses knowing that you were going to go to full frame? Uh...
3: I didn't really expect to go full frame, no. But
1: because I, cause I know if you some lenses, if you stick them on a full frame, they'll physically fit because you know as long as the mounting bracket is the same, they'll physically go in. Yeah. But they will. if you if you shoot wide, you'll get vignetting because there isn't really enough lens to cast an image on the entire bigger square. So it hmm. will vary from lens to lens, and it will vary from manufacturer to manufacturer. But you can't always. I know that the the cheap Nikon lenses that I've been buying don't cast a big enough circle to fill a full-frame le- sensor?
3: I didn't have any problems with that. The only thing I, I know is, uh, is that there is a, a certain crop factor involved, And uh, but other than that, the the, the the lenses work perfectly on the, the smaller camera and now on the big camera. Okay, there are, um, I think all of them were L lenses, so oh, probably, well, yeah. So, so
1: an L lens is, is a full-frame lens that you were using on a, on a smaller... On if, you, if you buy lenses... So, I'm trying to remember the exact acronym that Nikon used for the... Nikon uses
2: DX and FX.
1: Yeah, so if, if you take a In DX a, lens and shove it on an FX camera...
2: You'll get a vignette. Yeah. Which but may the, be very
1: artistically pleasing. But it's not... I've done it, and it's
2: not. It's not an artistic vignette. It's, it's just... Uh, it's... the And also, the lens, the larger... Uh, the lenses for the smaller sensors are optimized for the smaller sensors. So, if you put them on a larger sensor with a Nikon... The edge sharpness begins to fall apart really fast. So, um, but you can do the other way around. You can put yeah, a DX uh, lens on a, I'm uh, sorry, um, an FX lens or a full frame lens on a DX filter, and you get the, you know, you get the crop, and, then, uh, and it generally is cropping into to a good part of the lens, so you don't necessarily lose any obstacles. That's, that's probably what I have been doing. I had full
3: frame lenses, and I have been using them on the and a, a smaller sensor uh, camera.
1: Yeah. Which is yeah, really good do to do, actually, because if you imagine the lens gives out a, a sort of, it casts an image of a certain size, and if you're taking only the middle of that image, you're actually getting all the best bits of the lens. Mm-hmm. And none of the edge stuff where stuff starts to go a little bit wonky. So doing what you were doing, going a, a full-frame lens onto a smaller sensor gives you like, you know, you're getting the best out of that lens.
3: What I what I did when I bought my camera, and I already mentioned that. I, I first thing I had to do was was uh, pick between Nikon and Canon, and in my case, I picked Canon because it shot uh, um, faster faster in burst mode, and, and needed that at that point. But since then, I think the most important thing uh, is is choosing the correct lens for re, for your camera. The body, okay, you will evolve. Uh, your body will evolve, but you will choose some lenses. Because uh, you want to ch- shoot a nice uh, um, um, portraits, then you will pick a fifty millimeter lens, and you carry that on on your camera. I think I'm I'm at my third body by now, and I still have that lens.
0: Can I can I jump in on that? Mm-hmm. By the way, we 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 started to veer off subject, and I think uh, Stefan just brought us back in. Um, I did want to say one thing really quick. I double checked to make sure the Nikon D forty is thirty two percent bigger than the uh, A seven from Sony, okay. uh, and it, where the the Olympus uh, that I'm using the uh, M ten is uh, like j- maybe about eighty percent the size of the A seven. So anyway, but but back to what, what Stefan was saying. Um, if we have helped anybody choose what body they start with, which I don't think we have at all, um, when when I looked at the the mirrorless cameras, uh, Stephen Getz, uh, also known as Goatman on on Twitter, uh, started helping me. And one of the things he pointed out was that if I went with the Micro Four Thirds uh, format, that I had a lot more choices of lenses, which is something to think about when you look at, for instance, getting the Sony. You have to buy. Is it Sony that's APS-C?
2: Uh-huh.
0: Is that right? So Sony APS-C, you have to buy APS-C lenses. But when I bought the, the Micro Four Thirds camera, I had the option of Olympus lenses or uh, um, uh, Panasonic. Uh, Tamron makes lenses. Uh, so I had a lot more options of lenses. So I could stay with the same body and go up in, in uh, lenses exactly like what Stefan was saying.
1: It also gives you well, more freedom the, the other way, Alison, because you can change your body to a much bigger range of future bodies. So it actually get, helps you both ways. Okay. Right? Because while you keep this body, you have a great choice of lenses. And all of those lenses will work with a really big range of bodies when you next go to upgrade the body. So it's helpful twice.
0: I didn't think about that.
1: So that's good. I think something we, we said last time I think that we really should stress again is don't panic too much about buying the wrong thing. Because there's no rubbish <laughs> cameras being made today.
0: Yeah, that ruined my whole argument about being methodical. When I heard you say that, I was like, "Well, yeah, shoot, he's got a point about that."
1: Which is a luxury, and I'm delighted to be able to say, you know, "It's fine. Don't panic. You'll get." Nice I, th- I
0: think I guess the example that wouldn't be true is if you got a camera that was too hard to carry. And uh, mm-hmm. my my friend Diane is um likes liked her DSLR. She had a she had a Nikon D40, and she liked it, but she was always having to choose what to carry. Like she went to France and she said, Alison, which do I bring? Do I bring my small zoom or my big zoom? I have to choose between the two because it's too heavy to bring both. What do I choose? And so we ended up, uh, she ended up getting the same camera I got uh, more recently. And we got a zoom that goes from effectively 28 to 300. We slapped that on there. And for something that fits in our purse, we can have a fabulous camera with us. So it, it actually changed what she could take pictures of.
1: I think the ergonomics are probably more important than the technical innards. Which goes yeah. right back to what, what you and I have always said that you don't buy a camera until you physically held it.
0: Yep. Oh yeah. And, and, oh, that was the other thing I wanted to jump in on. I, I know Stefan was talking about going into the camera store and holding it. And that is how I chose Nikon over Canon. In fact, how I went to a DSLR from my old Minolta X 700, uh, film camera was I kept, I, oh, I wanted to go digital, you know, for a real grown up, big girl camera. And, and I would pick up these cannons. And I was just like, ugh, it just didn't fit in my hand. It just felt terrible. And I later on read an article, uh, years after I bought the Nikon, maybe I've told the story before on the show, I'm losing my mind. Um, that that certain companies had figured out how to market to women was not making things pink, but making things fit their hands. And the example in the article was the Nikon D40, which uh, I know implies you have little girly hands there, Bart. I uh, have
1: little girly hands, and I have said this <laughs> often in my arguments against the iPhone 6. <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
0: So uh, – but what I wanted to bring up to Stefan was to, if everyone listening, if you want to be able to go into a camera store and be able to pick up cameras and feel what they feel like before you plop down, you know, a thousand dollars on a camera, then buy it from those people that allowed you to do that. What I hate to see is people do that and then they go buy it on Amazon, and oh, it's like, I hate well, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to imply that you did, Stefan. But no, 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 no. But you're right. I just. It it drives me crazy when I see that. It's like if you want these stores to exist, then you better patronize them,
1: in in the good senses and giving them your money, not saying yes.
0: anything. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah, mean,
3: yeah. I noticed Actually, that in, in many cases, even if the price difference is really big, if you mention that in the in the physical shop, they will even try to uh, add something extra in or uh, try to compensate it. If if the difference is really big, I know a shop here in Belgium where I had that. Uh, I said, okay, I want to buy it, but. It's like uh, 300 euros cheaper if I buy the same thing on the internet. And uh, I know that they added some uh, some filters and, and uh, free reflection screen to get it uh, comparably cool. priced.
0: Something where they've they probably got better margins on those, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Sammy's uh, camera used to do an interesting thing. If you bought it online at Sammy's, it was cheaper than if you bought it in the store. Because if you go to the store, they have to pay those people to know what they're talking about.
1: But they don't have to pay the to it, so you'd hope that the the, the shipping saving was well, shipping to the separate. People.
0: Well, shipping's a separate charge.
1: Okay, but uh, if, if you walk all into a physical be, store, you shouldn't end up paying more than you would online, including the shipping. If you get what I mean, if you compare, no, it no, no, because walk out. You should, yeah, you shipping's the cheap park.
0: compared to paying that guy to know what he's. This is a case of a store that really knows what they're talking okay. about. You know, they're they're high end people.
1: So, so it's almost a concierge service where you have. You, you, you're paying a bonus for having like an expert to tell you what to buy bo- or help yes. you. Yes. Yes.
3: In my case, yeah. it's, it's the same. I know if I go to that shop, I will probably pay a little more than than an, another shop. Uh, but but I know they will try to help me, and uh, they know what I need. They will show different things. We will try different things out. They spend some time with me to 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 show the features and explain everything, and that's worth my money. I can't find yeah. that on the internet. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I- yeah. I want to add um as long as we're talking about shopping and stuff it, one of the things I notice especially in the back of camera magazines and you or online you'll see a, an ad for a camera and it the price is really good and um I use two places maybe three to judge prices of cameras in, in B&H photo Adorama and um usually the first the first two um offers that come up on Amazon and you know, you'll see a camera for 4.99, right? It's a B and H for 4.99, and it's Adorama for 4.95, and on Amazon it's for 4.75. Hmm. And you see an ad for that same camera for 3.25? Run away! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> run what does that mean? away! It's just because there is something going on uh, with these guys who are pricing the camera so much lower than B and H is one of the best prices that you can find uh, on a camera that is. Um, not a gray market camera. So gray market means that you're not. Um, they're importing the cameras from out of country, and you're not getting an American or, um, I should say, a, um, a warranty from the country that you're buying it in. So, uh-huh. you know, I don't know if it works the same in um, Ireland, Bart. But oh, we, if you, we have, well,
1: we have gray within market within the European Union. They, they can't refuse us within another European country, but if if we Come home with an American camera. Nikon Europe can say nope, not one of them. Right, matters. it's
2: the same thing. It's the same thing. So they'll, you know, there'll be lower prices for those. I'm always saying, buy the camera with a warranty in the country that you're you're going to live in, because if something goes wrong, you want to get it. You know, it's not worth saving the hundred and twenty five dollars um, to get a gray market camera when if something breaks, you're not you're going to have to pay twice or three times as much to get it repaired. Um, so use use the online. You know, use. I mean, even your camera, most camera stores will, you know, legitimate camera stores will have the basically the same price for the cameras. They don't mark them down too much. But if you see a camera that is like, it's too good to be true, it's true. It's too it's good, to, too be good true. to be true. You can, don't buy them from these people because then they'll, what well, they'll, some places will do, they'll take the charger out, they'll take the battery out, and they'll recharge you for all those things. Uh, and you'll end up paying twice as much as you would – not twice as much, but certainly a lot more than you would um, if you were buying it from a legitimate place. So always check the, the real companies that sell it.
0: You guys mentioned warranties, and I was kind of surprised to find out that the warranty from uh, Sammy's, like I said, is a very high-end place, was not very good. It was 30 days, and at 32 days, my camera failed. Uh, I am yeah, pretty good at talking people into things, so I got them to fix it. But uh, my friend Diane's camera failed. Uh, actually, coincidentally, both of them did. And she ended up having to ship it back and be without her camera for a couple of weeks.
1: I guess if you'd bought online, but, you, you, all, you wouldn't even get the 30 days.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, here's something interesting. I just got this Fuji camera yesterday. Uh, and there's a, there's a notice in the package. I'm just, I just noticed this for the first time. It says, stop, big stop sign, USA only. Um please do not return this product to your place of purchase before contacting Fujifilm. Well that wow. went
1: backwards to what most things are, isn't it?
2: Well no, I've seen this I've seen this for uh there was some other piece of electronics I bought and I can't remember what it was, and it wasn't an iPhone or iPad, but it was something it was an electronic device. And the the notice was the same. It's a contact the manufacturer first before returning it to or don't actually it said don't return it. I bought it from Amazon. It's like don't return it to Amazon, return it to us. Um huh.
1: I know a lot of places have the opposite, where they say we don't want to talk to you. We'll talk to the person who sold you the thing.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, this this is this is something new, Uh, and they they printed it up on a separate uh, on the other side. They're saying Canada only, too. Please do not return this. Yeah, same thing for um, Canada. Interesting. So, I mean, it's probably in different countries, probably different regulations. But it's definitely something to, you know.
1: Yeah, and Alison, you say that you only get a thirty-day warranty, but that's not really true because you have the full one-year or whatever warranty from the manufacturer.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I meant in-store warranty. Yeah.
1: Um, just before we move off this physical shops thing, there is another advantage to cultivating a relationship with a physical store. They often get they often buy and sell second-hand things, which is helpful in two ways. If you change your mind and you suddenly be, go from being a Nikon like person to a Canon person. It's helpful to have someone to go to who will buy the stuff off you and then give you a discount on your new stuff, which is great because you basically go in with one load of kit and some money and come out with a new kit, whereas you would have had to spend a lot more money otherwise. But it also means that if, if you strike up a relationship and you say, mm, yeah, I'm really interested in a new macro lens, but I'm a bit tight on money, if you happen to see something, you wouldn't give me a ring. And they will because they'll be happy to buy it off the person and they'll sell it to you. To keep you mm. happy as well, so there there is a real advantage to having building up a personal relationship with someone who runs a camera shop.
0: That's a good idea.
3: In the in in the shop where I go here in 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 Kent, I know uh, I have been a customer there for years, and a year ago I had a. And um, a video camera which broke two days after the, the warranty was, uh, was uh, over. It was a two-year warranty, I think, but it was two years and uh, two days. By the time I got to the shop, it was two years and five days. So I, I was out of luck. And, but because I, I go there quite a lot, of, a lot to buy all my gear, they, uh, they even fixed that. They sent it in and they said, okay, we will, we will make sure you get it repaired under warranty.
1: Yeah, it, it does help to have yeah. a relationship.
3: So. And okay, it's a little bit more expensive than, than some other shops, but then I don't have to drive through two hours to get to the shop. It's a 10-minute drive, and I can drop my stuff there, and I'm quite sure I'd be, I would get everything back the way it should.
1: And there is also the other advantage that it's really good for impatient people. <laughs>
0: right? I can get it yeah. now. new yeah. Shiny.
1: Well, I have to wait a week for delivery, or a new shiny. Ta-da! It's
0: <laughs> here. And, and, and that they is already... one of the reasons I bought from Sammys was I was able to go down and just go get it now.
3: Yeah, that's 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 how they know me as smell As well, they they know if I'm coming into the shop and I want something that they they need to have it in the shop, or they won't sell me anything.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, they're not being a shop. <laughs> yeah. Um. Do Do we want to stick on the topic of cameras for another while, or do we want to transition into? the other bits and bobs, which is sort of what I had envisioned for this
0: show. Sure. That sounds fun. That sounds bits fun. and bobs.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, last time we, we did the cameras and we did the lenses, and I think cameras and len- cameras were actually worth redoing again, so thank you, Alison, and I, I think this was a very useful half hour. So we did cameras, we did lenses, we did bags, we did things for holding it up, tripods, monopods, pieces of string simulating tripods and monopods. Pieces of string. <laughs>
2: we did, we did, we, did <laughs> know, we did. I know, I know, it's just... It took me a second. I was like, pieces of string?
1: Yeah. Well, we were all <laughs> impressed with them. So you might think, well, that sounds like everything, Bart. You've, you've covered all of the bases. But actually, my camera bag has an awful, awful, awful lot more in it than those big items. And so I suppose the first question is, what do people think is useful to have in addition to those staples that people, if they don't have, should be thinking, oh, maybe maybe actually I should spend the 20 euro or 50 euro as opposed to the hundreds for the stuff we've been talking about
0: i have one that i i think you mentioned bart but i'm gonna actually bring it up in kind mm-hmm. of a little bit of a different context um when i had the same camera you had uh, you suggested getting one of these little wireless remotes i think it was fourteen dollars for my nikon yeah um it was actually a pretty funny story. So Bart's telling me how great this thing is, and I have my camera set up on a tripod, and I'm trying to use it, and I'm pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And then every once in a while, the camera would fire, but a lot of times it wouldn't. And it wasn't until later that Bart explained to me that the Nikon D40 only had a sensor on the front, so I'm standing behind it trying to take pictures. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so was, I got the deep. That was simply the dumbest thing ever because most people, most time, you want a remote is when you're on a tripod and you're probably behind the bloody camera.
0: <laughs> well, so thing I, I upgraded to the D5100.
1: I suppose it's for selfies, but.
0: Yeah. 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 People
1: do selfies with DSLRs?
0: Well, I thought with the Nikon D5100 with the articulating lens, that was one of the big great advantages. Now, picture holding a, uh, a Nikon DSLR at arm's length, first of all. You know, hold no. it for about thirty seconds before you're going to drop it anyway. But my lens was so big that I couldn't see the articulated lens, the articulated oh. uh, screen around the lens. So I had to guess where it was anyway. So I never successfully took a selfie. I tried many times, um, but one of the uh, advantages of the um, of the camera I bought, the Olympus uh, EM10 mirrorless Micro Four Thirds camera, which by the way we never define the difference between those two. <coughs> Excuse me, is um, it has a it has Wi-Fi built in. And mm-hmm. what Wi-Fi built-in allows me to do is connect my iPhone to my to my camera, and I can completely control the camera remotely from my phone. So I can, uh, like the remote that we had, I can take a picture, but I can also I can change the the aperture and shutter and 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 ISO. I can change all of those things, and I can see what the camera can see. So in doing a group family portrait, I was able to say, "Oh, Elaine, you're covering up Daryl's face because I'm looking at it. I didn't have to take a picture, run over, look at it, go back, take a picture, run over, look at it, and uh, and so I think a remote remote is really handy in this case a wireless remote or the wi-fi remote is even cooler
3: i i actually bought my my new uh, uh, 6d uh, based on the fact that it had wi- wi-fi in the camera built in because in my case sometimes i take my camera to uh to press conferences and uh, there is it's it's a it's always a matter of, 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 of speed. You have to get your pictures on the internet very fast. And it allows me to uh, to transfer the images from my Canon immediately to my smartphone so I can upload it to uh, Flickr or, or, or Instagram. It was really something something I wanted on my camera. And that's why I, I went to the 6D in this case.
0: I couldn't so, agree more. Uh, when you when you're at Macworld and somebody's on stage and everybody else is tweeting and you're sitting there going, yeah, tomorrow night I'm going to have an awesome picture to post to this guy. <laughs> you know, it just – in certain environments it doesn't work. We yeah. should explain a little bit how that works. The camera creates a Wi-Fi network and you put the iPhone onto the same – or, or uh, certainly Android – onto the same Wi-Fi network that's being created by the camera. The, the, the photos move over to the phone and then you've got your cellular connection to actually do the tweet yeah. or, or Instagram or whatever you're doing.
3: Well, it's in in uh, on my Canon. It it works by creating its own uh, net- network, or it can connect right. uh, with an existing Wi-Fi net- network as well. So yeah. it can so, make its own ne- access yeah. point, or it can use an access point which is already there.
0: To keep the, people uh, from having to buy a whole new camera, though, uh, what they can buy is called the the uh, Fi no. Wait, no, memory cards. Yeah, I those actually create a wireless. These. Those actually create a wireless network in your camera, I, in the memory card itself. The downside to them is, or the, the way the software works, is every photo you've taken on that downloads to your phone, and it has to, and they have to be JPEGs. But um, it's a lot cheaper than buying a new camera.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have, I have two iFi cards, and uh, I've been having hit-or-miss issues with them. I bought it for my other Fuji X20, because I wanted to do that, be able to take pictures and... You know, immediately post them and actually process them and stuff, um, and without having to use the uh, uh, iPhone connector, iPhone camera connector, um, the Lightning connector for cameras. But I've been, I've had I, you know if you're in a an environment with a lot of um, powerful Wi-Fi, it'll be a hit or miss whether or not you're um, you'll be able to connect. And I've been actually on the on the horn with the uh, the ifi fi um, technical support, and i having a lot of problems with them. Uh, Allison, you're right. It will download all your pictures, but it will only download all the pictures that you haven't that you didn't download last time. So it, it sort of tags yeah. them on the card. Um, so you have no way to pick, you know, one or two pictures, which is which is a pain. But it but when it does work, it works great. I mean, you can download all these pictures to your iPhone or your Android, and um, it, it will download the full res versions. And that's one of the reasons why I shoot RAW and JPEG, so that I transfer the JPEGs via Wi-Fi. Um, and the new Fuji X100 now also has the Wi-Fi built in to it. So, and there's a nice, there's a decent Fuji app and I'm using it for doing remote street shooting so that I can set my camera up around my neck and walk around with my iPhone and take pictures of people and they don't know I'm taking pictures
1: of them. Wi-Fi is also the magic that makes the tiny little almost featureless GoPro cameras into such powerful tools because the cameras themselves are spectacularly dumb. They just use Wi-Fi to let you use a smartphone to make them clever.
2: Yeah. And I will add, as a part of this, like if you're gonna use the Wi Fi, the cards or the camera, do buy yourself a couple of extra batteries. Because yes. it's nom, 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 going yeah. to eat, and on your phone or whatever wireless device you're gonna do because it's going to eat your battery power like mad. Especially with the smaller cameras with the smaller capacity batteries. My my little Fuji, I, I have like eight batteries. Um,
0: I am and- shocked at how fast I burn through batteries on the Olympus. But I could if- take thousands of photos on my d40 and i'm i'm literally in the hundreds on uh on my new camera
2: there's the there's the main part of the main switch between a dslr style camera and a mirrorless is that everything is being i mean there's so much power being used on a mirrorless camera i mean it's running you're running the. i'm looking through the viewfinder right just looking for the viewfinder and i was going to say that's i was going to bring that up before it's one of the differences between the mirrorless and the dslr is that often with mirrorless style cameras you're looking at? Um, you know, you're always looking through an electronic viewfinder for the most part. Uh, part of the plus about that, just to go back for a second, is that you're actually going to see the style of the picture that you're shooting. When you're using an optical viewfinder and DSLR, you're just seeing reality. You're not seeing your picture converted to black and white or something like that. But if you're on a mirrorless and you set your camera up to shoot black and white, you're going to see what the picture looks like. You can get an actual preview of it. But all that stuff eats up power. Yeah,
1: so, it's kind of funny because. Like my little D forty had a very low power battery. If you look at the, like the megawatt hour contraptions, it's kind of a teeny wee thing. It lasts months, forever. Yeah, yeah. My D five thousand one hundred has a much more powerful battery. It goes through it in a week. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway,
2: so yeah, buy, buy lots of batteries. And and mm. and um, my experiences, the third party batteries have been terrible. Oh, least, interesting. I was just going to uh, ask you that. On the, I think I have the Wasabi batteries or something like that. My experience on them has been, at least on my Fuji cameras, is that they'll work for a while. They'll go from three like at three pips, you know. Mm-hmm. Icon will go from three pips. Instead of going from three, two to one, they'll go from three and then it'll shut off. Ooh. So I get no indication in between that the battery's running out. It will just go, you know, it'll work well for a while. So I I'll, I'll probably never buy those batteries again. And they're not that much cheap, at least with the Fuji batteries, they're not that much cheaper than than the brand name. So I'm just sticking with the brand name. Now, other people might have different experiences, but my experience with those batteries has just been not good. So I, not I'm almost
0: positive we bought Wasabi batteries for Steve's uh, GoPro, and they worked well. I'm going to try to ping him and see if I can get his attention to ask him, but I could have sworn that's what we did use. It's but more the are-
2: indication. It's more like the, the camera... They're not the camera because usually the batteries have to talk to the camera properly, and maybe there's something going yeah, on that. That's true. At least with the Fuji, the Fuji software, or the firmware is just not talking to the batteries very well. Maybe it's working better with other cameras. But I have that cameras, with like,
3: uh, with one of the batteries uh, on my six uh, D as well. It is a, a non-camera, a non-Canon battery, and uh, if I put it into the camera, the camera even says. Okay, you can use it, but I won't be able to tell you if it has enough juice. I can just say if it's empty or not.
0: Oh, interesting. My, my
3: camera
2: that could be dimensions. a manufacturer kind of thing so that you're forced to buy their batteries and they're just being… Mm-hmm. But the yeah, might, I wonder
0: if that's what's happening with your Fuji. It's just it not telling be. you that's what's happening, but it's it just is. going, uh, yes, 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 nope.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but, but that's a regardless, It's like it's, it's not good. Um, because I need to see like, oh, I can gauge how much battery power. If it's not, if the battery gauge is not working, it's almost useless. Because I could be in the middle of shooting something if I'm doing, especially when I'm doing a video, and it goes three, 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 three. I'm like, okay, great, I got enough power, and all of a sudden it shuts off. That's that was a that's a disaster.
0: Just yeah, Steve did confirm, by the way, they were yasabi, wasabi on the GoPro, and they worked okay. But I, that was a case of where the the batteries were like a quarter the cost of what they cost from GoPro. Um, wow. But batteries aren't that expensive for these smaller cameras, right?
1: Yeah. Um, just before we move off the whole Wi-Fi and the stuff, I do, you know, Alison, you had said, you know, if you don't want to buy a new camera, well, you can get a Wi-Fi card, which is yes. Uh, but there is also the other aspect of that, which is control rather than getting your pictures off. So there's also things you can, I'll, I'll use the word bolt on. I don't literally mean bolt on. I mean, connect in a more sane way. Um, but you can get things to, to, to stick to your camera that will allow it to talk to your to allow any camera to talk to your smartphone and do not quite the full control like you were describing, but a lot of control. Um, I have a system that I absolutely swear by called Trigger Trap, and the way they have a couple of different options: so either one with a wire, which is cheap or well cheaper, or one that works over Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, which is more expensive. But basically, you stick a contraption into the side of the camera. And you have the app on your smartphone, and either over wire or over wireless, the contraption in the camera talks to your phone. And so ah. you, you can fire the shutter and so forth. And it can, it can actually use the smartphone's features to make the camera smarter. So I use it mostly for my long exposure stuff because it's an app. You know, I, I'm out at night, I frame a nice shot. And I click fire, and I didn't want to do a twenty-second exposure, or a thirty-second exposure, or a forty-five-second exposure, or one minute exposure or one and a one-minute exposure, a one-and-a-half-minute exposure. I want to do a whole range, but I don't want to keep messing with the camera, a because I'll be wobbling it on the tripod, and b because it's just a pain in the backside. So I just use the app, and it lets me change all of those things with nice, you know, swiping a touchscreen and so forth. It's a really nice interface, but it also projects out the power of the iPhone, so you can do time lapses based on geographic position. So you know the way if you see in a TV sometimes they'll speed up people in a car and it's always really smooth. It's because they're not taking a photo every n seconds; they're taking a photo every x yards. And so by using the iPhone, the GPS in the iPhone, you can do those kind of time lapses with any camera because the iPhone will say, oh. "Fire now, fire now, fire now." Or the other oh, one is low. Cool. You can make your camera clap activated, so you can use the, the mic in the <laughs> iPhone to trigger shots.
0: Clap on, clap off. Yeah, yeah clapper. So-
1: yeah oh, nice. with your cameras so it's oh, kind of cool oh so you know there are ways to bring the cool modern stuff to older cameras so there anyway, i just I'm yeah there was looking in my so, chat room here and people seem to want to talk about filters yeah <laughs> but i was also going
2: to just mention there's something called Cam Ranger it's a little pricey but it does allow you to to connect a a, a tablet or a, a smartphone to your camera it's it's 300 but you can actually do a lot of stuff with it like you, you can do um it, Videos and control a lot of stuff, but it is a three hundred dollar attachment.
1: Wow, dude? That's the price of a GoPro. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. But some people might want it. I mean, if true. you don't if you have an older camera, you know, and maybe you have an older DSLR, but you want to be able to have some of the modern features. You know, maybe a three. You know, two ninety nine is not a not a bad. True.
1: No, very true. Hmm. So, Stefan. You 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 wanted to bring us towards filters, so is there any particular aspect, any particular way you want us to approach the topic?
3: Well, I wanted to get uh, to filters because I don't think we, we, we touched that topic last time. We
1: didn't, and I actually it was on my mental list as well.
3: And so. uh, I know in, in my case I bought um, um, a polar filter, a circular polar filter, because you it allows you to get some more color into your image or uh, get some reflection out of the water, uh, sort of things it's like it's
2: that. Like yeah. what do you, excuse me. You polar, said
3: polar filter, I mean polar, polar, Yes. Circular, circular. circular polar filter.
1: Yeah, CP.
0: Why doesn't somebody explain what that actually is? Who knows what oh, to are yeah. about? Well, oh. I have a physics degree. Does that mean it has to be me? <laughs> yes. Oh, you did a good job of explaining it to me early on. But, did I? But, yeah. Well,
1: so... Hmm. Well, it's <laughs> so easy to do with the picture, but basically the, 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 what, it, what it really does is it... it co- The way Polaroid sunglasses cut down on glare, it's effectively the same thing. So if you have grass, which reflects light, if you take the glare off, the grass becomes greener. Not because it's any greener, but because the glare from the sun is gone, so the true green comes through. And the sky reflects a whole bunch of colors, but basically if you polarize the sky, you get a much more vivid blue because there's less scattering going on. So it kind of helps get the sky bluer, it helps get sort of sunlit trees and grass more colourful and if there's a reflection on the surface of liquid, it lets you remove a lot of that reflection There's a caveat, big caveat. There's
2: caveats
1: There's uh, always caveats
2: It only work. polarising filters only work when you're at a certain angle towards the, the thing. thing that you're, you're shooting, um, whether it's a reflection or the sky you're trying to darken or whatnot. Um, it has to be a certain angle, so it doesn't work all the time.
1: Depending and on and they the usually actual. have a twisty bit, so you find yourself having an extra adjustment.
2: Yeah, well, the twisty bit is like um, if you looked at if you I think put a polarizing lens under a microscope, it would look like a Venetian blind. It's a lot of just grooves in the glass it's called a gradient. And because, yeah, and because it's they're so fine that the the actual filter itself looks dark. Um, and, and a circular polarizer has two of those. Um, Filters <laughs> together, yeah, and when you rotate them, you you create the effect. But again, like if you're shooting the sky and you want to darken the sky to help get rid of some of that extra light, you have to be I think at 90 degrees to the sun roughly to get the best effect. Uh, if yeah. you're pointing towards the sun or pointed you know um, the opposite direction of the sun, you're you're not going to get as intense of an effect. And the same thing with reflections. Yeah, but even like if, if you're shooting straight right? onto the reflection, like if you're shooting into a glass, like a, a window. Mm-hmm straight on, you will not get rid of the reflection with a polarizer. You have to be at a 45, roughly a 45 degree angle to it. But that's yeah. being and technical. E- even
1: if you have the angle right, so even if you're standing at 45 degrees or you have the sun at 90 degrees to you, you still have to twist around the CP filter to find the perfect alignment to get it all to work as best as possible. So Correct. it does really slow you down. And it throws and it- away about half the light. Well, not yeah, quite mm-hmm. but it throws away a lot of the, a significant chunk of light. Yeah, it darkens. It darkens. darkens it.
2: it also doesn't work very very well on wide lenses. Like the wider you get, you'll start to see um, a, a, a very uneven darkening of. Especially if you're using it for the sky, it will be a very uneven. Um, so
0: I have background. I have one big problem with my CP filter. Okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> I I I went to Bora Bora and forgot to bring it. <laughs> not like there was you know beautiful water sky to take pictures of a
1: tropical blue sea that would have looked so vivid under a circular polarizer and it was sitting at home
0: yep 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 uh and then there's the flip side is i'll be doing photography indoors at a a nightclub or something like that i go damn it's so dark
1: yeah (laughs) and the next day
0: i remember that it's still on so how do you guys remember to take it on and off
1: not very efficiently (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, so you do the same thing? Yeah, I
1: actually like had that, that too. Uh, the, the problem other thing, with neutral density filters. Yeah, so. that's what well, I was trying to, to, to me mention. The neutral density the one. Just to say that if you buy, remember, if you're putting any filter of any sort in front of your lens, it will reduce your image quality, and let, because there's an ex, there's two extra surfaces introduced into the equation at least, and every time light passes through a surface, you have the possibility of internal reflections, which cuts down contrast, can cause glare can cause uh, all sorts of funny effects. And if your filter isn't of good optical quality, it'll cause all sorts of weird effects across the frame. So every filter you use, you're paying a price for. So well, don't I, go bonkers.
2: Uh, an instructor once told me, if you have a $1,500 lens and you put a $15 filter in front of it, you now have a $15 lens. Yeah, So. Yeah, um, part of that is, is the more – just like with a lot of things, you know, I think about microphones. The more, generally, the more money you pay for a microphone, the better it sounds. The more money you pay for a piece of glass that you put in front of your already expensive piece of glass is going to work out better. So there are certain companies where the, the glass filters that you're putting on there are not going to degrade the quality of your image
1: that much.
0: So um, when you're standing in the shop mm-hmm. and you are about to buy one, all you say is give me the most expensive one?
1: No, because then you will probably get ripped.
0: No, off. but they'll give you
2: the cheap one and they'll rip you off. Yeah,
0: I mean, the well, idea so is researching the
1: the
2: brands. I mean, one of the brands I use that I almost swear by uh, is B and W. The letter I want B spoon fed. But <laughs> I don't want to have to do my own research. <laughs> I, I, you tell us when there's no way Buy B true. and W. I don't get kickbacks from them, but they're good lenses. And uh, uh, let's see. There's another brand I can't think of it off the top of my head, but. Um, um, I rarely use inexpensive filters, and I actually rarely use filters. And Allison, you said if you forgot your polarizer, mm-hmm. you can do some of the stuff in post production. There are some decent. Yeah. There are some deep, decent same, filters though. that simulate polarizers very well, and you have a little bit mm-hmm. more control over them. It's not actually affecting the light that you shoot, but it's affecting the processed picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I. Did want to also talk about neutral density filters? We want to.
0: Bart sounded dubious though of what you just said. He was picking yeah, did, a funny. You can
1: Physics is physics. You you, you can you, you can sort of simulate it, but it's really not the same thing.
0: No, you simulate.
2: I said simulate. Yeah. It's not sim- the the definition of simulation means it's not. Okay. The no, same it's thing. just it's- I'm just saying it's that like you, don't, you don't have to have a cow that you forgot your polarizer. Oh, okay. And actually with a lot, of, a lot of with filters, I mean like neutral density filters that you use to like maybe gradient the sky. So like you're shooting at dusk and you want the sky to be a little more magenta. Some people actually put a gradient magenta filter on. Two things it does. First of all, it locks your picture into having that color. So if you ever wanted to say – you go back to home and you say, well, you know, I didn't want the sky magenta. Well, guess what? That picture now is stuck in magenta. <laughs> that and you've way, got to yeah. – yeah, and you've got to filter that out. So there are pluses and minuses like to doing it afterwards in post-processing because you have a little bit more uh, options. When we were shooting film, you really didn't have the choice. You would just swap about a bunch of filters out and you would try this magenta and that yellow filter and end but,
1: up but, with Particularly with ND, you, you often can't see it. So a reason you might use a, a full neutral density N- filter. ND? So ND is neutral density, density, which means that it's a perfectly gray filter. In theory, assuming you buy a good one, it is the same amount of light gets blocked. The same percentage of the light going through gets blocked out from one corner to the other. It is just a perfectly gray filter. So all it does is subtract light, and you choose... Why do I
0: want to block out light? Ah, I'm getting there. Ah.
1: (laughs) So you choose whether you want to block out one stop, two stops, eight stops, 16 stops, and you can stack them if you want. So imagine you love that look of moving clouds. And you can do that at night really easily. You can expose for three minutes. No problemo. You can do it at ISO at ISO 200. It still works. It's fine. You can do really long exposures. But if you want that sunlit, if you want a shot of a landscape with the sky moving during the day, you cannot possibly expose that long without getting a blown out shot. Oh. So the only way to win is to to remove light before it hits the sensor. And so a neutral density just subtracts one stop of light, two stops of light, six stops of light, whatever the neutral density filter is. And so waterfalls are another example you want that really silk smooth Yeah, I was going
2: to say waterfalls, yeah.
0: So it's
1: when you need a long exposure but there's too much light. Well, the answer is take it away.
2: And it's not just long exposures, Bart, by the way. Okay, that's what I use it for. (laughs) Yeah, no, but I mean a lot of these cameras also – um, the sensors are, are, are very sensitive to light. Um, you'll notice that there's a lot more sensitivity in the dark with a lot of these sensors. You can shoot mm. in near darkness. But when you get to the other end, when you want to get to a low ISO, a lot of these cameras, some of the basic cameras, only go down to 200. Uh, and sometimes you want to be able to shoot in bright light, sunlight, and you want to be able to get a really shallow depth of field.
1: Actually, you're right. I've had this happen with right my my nifty fifty. I wanted to get a shot at f one4 during the day.
2: You can't. It was impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. The so you also have know. to block yeah. out light, and uh, you can buy a great neutral density filter, or some cameras have them built in. The, the this Fuji I just got has a um, three times uh, neutral density filter built in, so its lowest ISO that it can go to when I'm shooting JPEGs, I think, is two hundred, and it's got an f two lens. Um, And if I go out in a bright sunlight, there's no way I'm going to be able to shoot at F2 um, with this camera and get a shallow depth of field. So it has a built-in neutral density filter to knock out some of that
0: light. Back back up for me, Antonio. You just said it's got the neutral density filter built in, an F2 lens, but you can't get a shallow depth of field with an F2 lens outdoors? I don't understand why.
2: Because there's too much light. And so you can't stop the shutter down far enough. To block out the amount, the amount of light. So when you have your eyes, so it would system, be
0: overexposed. So, you're saying the, if, you, if you did it,
2: yes, you would. Yes, there's, okay. there's. Yeah. I mean, the so the only way to taken,
0: and yeah, it would and be you, a shallow depth of field, but you wouldn't be able to see anything you good. You wouldn't Be able to see it. Yeah. The got camera it, might,
2: might not even take the picture. Some cameras think, won't do that. So okay. If you um,
1: ever seen Alison when you were still shooting with Nikon, that you dial in what you want, and it starts flashing at you on the bottom of the screen. I hate that. That means that that there is some physical thing gone wrong. So I would, you know, dial down to F1.4, set the shutter speed, you know, set it on, say, aperture priority or whatever. And I go to fire and it's just blinking at me. It says 1 over 400, flash, flash, flash. And what that's doing is the camera saying, I can only go as far as 1 over 4000. And this is going to be overexposed by one stop, two stops, whatever is flashing at you. And they're just telling you, look, physics is in the way. You need to either not shoot at F1.4 or... You need to stick something in front and take away. I'm
0: almost positive, like Antonio mentioned, I'm almost positive that that happened to me trying to take pictures of waterfalls.
1: <laughs> very likely, Alison. Probably, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. I know Stefan that- wanted to talk about uh, neutral density filters too. Yeah, I th- I, uh, I bought one as well, and I think
3: I used it in uh, when I went to shoot some pictures of my son portraits, uh, but it was in in very very bright bright sunlight uh, and. Uh, I think in in my case it would have been overexposed because there was just too much sunlight, and I used it to to the yeah to to get some uh, some some light out of the the image. I think uh, it it just got a little bit darker, which which uh, gave me uh, a less overexposed face while still retaining the rest of the image.
1: So you're happy with what it did?
3: I was I was uh, quite happy with the results. Yeah.
1: It just it a it, tip if you're going to be using strong neutral density filters. Like, you know, I have three eight-stop neutral density filters which can be stacked on top of each other when needed. And when you do that and you look through either the viewfinder, be it electronic or digital, you will see positively absolutely nothing because (laughs) it's blocking so much light. But I wanted to get a five-minute exposure in bright daylight, so I needed to take out all of those stops. And the thing to bear in mind is that When you're in automatic mode or or anything like that, every click of a dial is one-third of a stop. So when I put 24 stops in front of my camera, I counted 24 times three clicks, and then I knew my exposure was right. So set it up, find out what the exposure is without any filter in there, put the filters in, and then just add 24 stops worth of correction, and you'll get a perfect exposure.
0: That just made my head hurt. If I have (laughs) have an electronic viewfinder, I can... I can see what it's going to see, can't I?
1: Well, no, because if, if you put that. eight stops worth of neutral density filter in front of it, there's so little light, you probably won't.
0: No, I'm not looking through the lens. Am I? Well, also, if no, you have the, the camera, camera on automatic...
1: it's using the sensor, which is looking through the lens. Yeah. yeah.
2: But also, if you have oh. the camera on automatic, it's going to try to compensate for that. The, the camera doesn't know that you put a neutral density filter in front of it, so...
0: It just knows it's really dark. It's, it yeah. knows it's
2: really dark, so it's going to try to compensate in its way. So, generally, you need to... Uh, work it somehow manually so that yeah, you know, so the amazing. camera's not compensating for the loss of light.
1: And so my, my approach is take the filters off, get everything right, then put the filters on and just click the appropriate, count the amount of clicks you're making on the dials. And every dial is worth the same. So if you say darken the ISO, make the ISO less sensitive by eight clicks, that's eight times a third of a stop gone. Then you change the aperture by another eight clicks, that's another eight gone. And then you change the exposure by an eight clicks and that's another eight gone and you're, you're where you should be. So you, you can mix and match. Every click is worth a third of a stop. It doesn't matter which of the three legs of the stool you shorten. They're equal, which is the magic of shooting in full manual, which I don't have the talent to do with.
2: And to keep your bag lighter, um, we were talking about circular polarizers. Uh, there are circular polarizers. There's yeah, also uh, circular neutral density filters. That's, which that's what? what I have. Yeah, so you can rotate them. They're essentially mm-hmm. kind of like polarizer filters, and they will get darker and darker as you as rotate. As you rotate, yeah. Oh sorry,
1: I am used to hearing them called was it var N D? Variable and probably variable N D.
2: And one of the things you can get, and one of the things I bought is um, filter adapters. So you can buy one very large circular neutral density filter and with adapters being able to adjust and put them on your different size lenses. So you don't necessarily Oh why didn't you tell me
0: that earlier? Jeez, <laughs> that won't work for a You end up buying
2: now, right? You end up buying one filter for each lens, and you can buy an adapter and put one filter.
0: And I sold all. I got rid of all my filters from my old camera and bought them all over again. Yeah. And just
1: be sure to buy the filter for the biggest lens you have. Yes, so the buy the largest. Yes, opening.
2: seventy-seven millimeter generally is the largest you'll probably ever. We probably won't yeah. even have a 77
0: didn't uh, tell me that uh, earlier? There's 72 also uh, millimeter.
1: standards for these kind of things. Like, is it Koken are a very famous manufacturer. They make actually rectangular-shaped filters. And so what you buy is a Koken mount, and then it has different screw-in bits for the back. So you buy one set of filters, one mount, and then little adapters to stick it onto any lens. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Can I tell what's, a sad story? Oh, go ahead, Stefan.
3: What's your opinion on, on the the whole uh, UV filter Thing I've, ah, I've, I've heard,
1: yeah, yes.
3: I've heard a lot, of, a lot, of, a lot of people say, yeah, don't put it in front of your lens Jeez. because it just takes things away. But on the other hand, I've also heard people say, okay, put one on to protect your lens. If you get no. a, a scratch, it's on the the UV filter, not on your lens. No. No. I, I wanted to hear what's, what what your opinion I'm is. let let Antonio
1: go first, and then I'm going no. to have a strong opinion. <laughs> <sighs> um, I've I've been shooting
2: since i was 13 years old and i have yet to ever smash my lens into something where i needed a uv filter protection if i was wanting to protect my lens i put a lens um a lens, lens hood. Hood on, yeah. a lens hood on because a lens is going to block anything unless someone's going to throw a spear or something directly at your lens
0: <laughs> which is you have for other matter, problems
2: yeah remember <laughs> that matter you know, a UV filter may not help at all because if something is strong enough to break a UV filter, it's going to hit the front element in your lens. I'm not putting any UV filter and I'm making the quote things in my fingers uh, in front of my lens. I think it's a way for uh, camera shops to be able to sell you something for another 25 bucks. Um, I don't think you need it unless you're going to a war zone and you really need to, or you know, you expect dust storms. Um, I can't see a, a need for a, a, a piece of cheap glass in front of your lens just to protect it. Just don't bang your lens. Be, be aware of where you're walking with your lens. And chances are you're never going to bang it. If you, have a, if you have a hood on it, that's probably going to take the brunt of the, the hit
1: first. Actually, I don't need to express a strong opinion because Antonio has just said everything I was going to say.
2: <laughs> it's 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 a scam. But uh, I, I,
3: I don't know. But wouldn't that also help if you go from uh, uh, hot inside to cold outside? So the condense gets on the on the on the filter and not on your lens.
2: If that happens, your 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 um, LCD screen is going to condense. Yeah. Your viewfinder mm-hmm. is going to condense. The lens is probably the last, and you, the inner element of your lens is going to condense too. You don't ever. In fact, you know. Here's a tip. You're coming in from a cold environment to a hot environment. Um, keep your camera in the bag. Mm-hmm. Don't ever walk in, like you're coming in from a freezing day and you go into someone's house and they've got, you know, heat going on. Leave your camera in the bag. Don't take it out. And vice versa. If you're coming in from a hot environment and you're going to a cold environment, leave it in the bag. Until That's when, when you're going to get your... That's Until when the it condit- equalizes, Allison. Until it Until equalizes. The, yeah, the, the bag is usually the same temperature that you've been outside and it helps to gradual, so gradually... So just give it some time. Yeah, don't ever, especially like if you're in the in the... North here, where everybody's house is really superheated, and you go outside, that's you know, you know, you'll you walk into someone's house, your 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 camera's toast. And so the filter is not going to, you know, filter is not going to make that much of a difference. And you know.
1: Alison, you're not going to have this problem in your part of the world <laughs>
0: <laughs> with our temperature variability of six degrees. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, No, I'm just UV filters are just, they're just.
1: Yeah, no, I I studied physics. I studied optics. There's no way you can convince me to ruin my lens. Just for the sake of me being careless, I will look out. You
0: spend money. a lot of money on it, yeah, right? Yeah. No. What if I, I'm asking a serious question? You said with the other kind of filters to make sure you spend a lot of money, and that way you get better one. Can't you spend a lot of money on a? But it doesn't uh, take
1: the physics away. You can spend a lot of money, but it's not doing it bad. But it is still two more surfaces. And the other filters time have a light purpose. Crosses a surface yeah. from one refractive index to another you get a reduction in image quality. The question is how big of a reduction depends on how cheap you went.
0: And filtering out, filtering out UV rays doesn't do anything. That's a load fati- I'm alone. pretty
1: sure, actually, that the sensor does that. The stuff... The sensors... The camera. The sensors.
0: Now,
2: okay. UV filters were probably big when we were shooting film, and they may have made some difference because films were, you know, certain chemistries, and they were affected by light in a certain way. But as our sensors are getting better, they are they are doing their own
1: um UV filtration so okay. we don't need that don't no. Now, nope, nope. We, we've we actually got on for an hour, and I still want to talk about a few more gadgets. So uh,
0: Wait, can I tell my horse my terrible oh, sorry, sad story sad first? Story. You,
1: you can, but we're definitely not ending on a sad story, so we're doing at least one more topic
0: after this. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm having too much fun. I don't want to stop. Um, so one of the things I have a habit of doing is I buy something new, I buy a new Mac, and I keep my old Mac around for a really long time to make sure it depreciates as much as possible and isn't worth anything by the time I sell it. So... <laughs> it's a process. So when I when I bought my new camera, I said I said, well, look, I can sell this old camera for this much money. I could justify buying the new camera cuz I I'm I'm out literally only 2 or 300 dollars net from selling all my camera gear from the Nikon to go to the Olympus. Wow. And um yeah, so that was that was a pretty good deal. But the trick to doing that was to do it quickly because, as I believe, I think DSLRs are are not going to be increasing in value. So I went through on a tear and I took pictures of everything and I and I posted all on eBay and other places. And um, by the way, little tip uh, for those who use Facebook, that is the best place to sell things because people know you and they're willing to buy what you're selling and they don't negotiate as much too. Little hint. Um, so, so anyway, I sold everything off and and I, I if I sold a lens, I would put the filter in the picture to hopefully get a little bit more money from it and that kind of thing. So I got rid of all the filters when I was all done, I had this one filter left and for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what it was. It was very, very, very dark and it had kind of this big goopy little smudge on it and I kept picking it up and setting it down, picking it up, setting it down. I don't my desk for a while. I'd fiddle with it while I was on the phone. I, while I was on the computer, I couldn't figure out what it was. And finally, I just said, "Okay, screw it. The camera's gone. I don't know what that thing is. I'm going to throw it away." Week and a half work. later, week and a half later, Steve says, "Hey, there's a partial eclipse of the sun. Where's your solar filter?" Uh, no. And the worst part was, it wasn't just that it went to my old camera. He had bought an adapter ring so that it would fit on his video camera. Oh, oh. so it didn't now, really it did belong it- to your camera at all. Well, it did. It fit my camera. He had bought it for me when we went to Australia to see a total eclipse, and uh, so we ended up. Sadly, uh, he was so sweet. He he took. Uh, he had a pair of those uh, sunglasses they give you for looking at the sun during an eclipse. Mm-hmm. That have the 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 right filters for doing that, and uh, and he taped uh, his filter ring around the the uh, filter sunglasses and put black tape on either side so that basically I had a ring to hold on to that had black tape up and bottom and then over my over my actual lens was this crappy plastic filter and I got great pictures of the sun <laughs> he, he bought me a new one and he wrote on the outside what it is <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't throw
1: away what, don't you sell. It, the, the mylar is a safe thing to use for that kind of thing so it, you know, eclipse shades are okay for looking at eclipses thank goodness But never, ever, 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 ever assume that you can take welding glasses to look at the sun. And always, 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 always hold it up to the light to look for pinholes before you use any sort of solar filter. Because otherwise, you'll go blind.
0: Yeah, this one one actually says not for direct viewing on it. Like, you can't look through this with your naked eye. It's made for the camera which is interesting. Yeah, you should
1: always read the manual for anything to do with the sun. I mean, Galileo went blind discovering the sun had spots.
2: Can I just say one last thing about filters? Yes. About the UV filter, too, to just knock them down some more. Um, (laughs) You should use them for protection, and you bang it, it, there's a good chance that that filter is going to get stuck on the front of your lens, and you're either going to have to send it in repair to get it taken off. (laughs) I think Tom, my partner Tom, He's got a, a UV filter that I think got banged onto the front of his lens, and he can't get it off. And so now, unless he can go get it repaired, every shot he's taking is being taken through uh,
0: less than optimal. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I'm sure you're that. super sympathetic and don't mock him at all for that, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mock him every minute. And <laughs> if it's it was hero, like I'd mock him too. So.
1: <laughs> well, before we finish up. Um, I'm wondering, I, should, I didn't tell any of you about this up front because I've just had the idea now, so if this doesn't work, I'm sorry. But maybe, I, I'm pretty sure we all have something in our bag that's cheap and that people that people wouldn't think of, but that you actually think is really, really useful. And so maybe we should just end by, by, by sort of a little tip of a little gadget that we have that people may not think of or that we think they should consider. And I'll go first to show you what I mean. And the single, well, not the single most useful thing I ever bought, that would be the camera. But among the many useful things I have bought is a 3-axis bubble level that fits in the hot shoe of a camera. It cost me £5 sterling. And it's just, so a horizontal bubble level, a vertical bubble level, and a planar bubble level. You stick it into the hot shoe, and if you're shooting wide angle and you actually want to get the thing level, you can never tell through the viewfinder, ever, ever, ever. You just stick it on set it level, lock your tripod and fire. And I use it for all of my astronomy shots and they're just so much better now that everything is actually planar. And it was probably the cheapest thing I've ever bought. And so that would be my little tip. And the reason you want three axes is that you can flip vertical so you can take portraits as well as landscapes. And so that if you're ever doing a, a panel, you want to stitch so that you get everything level in all axes so that when you spin around on the tripod, it'll all work out and you won't end up dipping into the ground or something horrible.
0: Now, this is another sad story, but my oh, – I no, uh, You're not letting <laughs> in sad story. Someone has to go after Allison. No, 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 no. No, I'm not – this is my pick. I was just going to tell you that uh, my new camera has the level built in. So you can oh. turn on these little green uh, lights and we were down at the beach with my friends, Diane and Bill, and I was showing off my new camera before Diane bought hers. And I showed her how it had these little green levels and I showed her how cool it was. I could tilt up and down and right and left and it was, oh, it was awesome. And I got home and every single picture I took that night was crooked. What? <laughs> so I don't know if I'm just too stupid to use a level or what, but it was hilarious because it was all these great shots of the ocean, and I, there wasn't one of them that was that I didn't have to fix.
2: I don't think those those in camera levels are really that accurate. Um,
0: so I'm not an idiot,
2: possibly. I just you know I, I just I, when I look at the ones I have on my camera, I was like, there's just not enough resolution on the screen to 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 show uh-huh. me how level it is. I mean, you're looking at pixels, you know. And Bart, I think you're you know having a liquid level to
1: me makes most yeah and, and the physics of the liquid and the little air bubble, that's gonna be level level. Right, that's
2: yeah, water seeks its level. So you know,
1: so much is better. If that hot shoe was so bent it was crooked. That's possible. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I will go next with my, uh, with my good one. So um, I had all these camera bags from my DSLR. I had a, a great big bag that was a backpack that would take my MacBook Pro and I had a camera bag built into it and I had a smaller one and I had, I had ones for when I was just carrying with a camera with one lens on it. I had all these cases and everything and I got rid of all of those really quickly. I was very proud of myself, but I needed a way to carry my, uh, my little camera. So I went to REI, which is a, a camping shop uh here and i bought a men's shaving kit it's it's a it's it's a basically cloth it's bright orange with uh what color is it it's bright orange with red on it it's ugly as sin no one would ever think it was a camera bag uh but the thing that's inside it that i was most proud of was uh to protect the lens steve g- handed me a beer cozy Do you know what that is the yeah, little piece yeah. of foam that keeps your beer cool <laughs> fit perfectly over my lens as a little lens protector
1: <laughs> that's so nice
0: <laughs> so you talked about uh what was the word you used for something uh your uh your microphone stand antonio it, you said real hobo it's very hobo, hobo yeah looking. Hobo. yeah <laughs> it's just it, it's just a perfect phrase for it i look like an idiot but it works perfectly and it cost me nothing
1: it hey, sounds good to me um... the, Antonio, to find one of you guys have a little nugget twin on or yeah, oh, I, go ahead, uh,
3: a few months ago uh, I bought uh, some uh, reflection screens, which are uh, pretty cheap. It's a, a small screen, and you can uh, pull uh, uh, some some from colored uh, uh, a gold colored uh, screen on it for, for some reflection to reflect some light on on, on a subject or a, a silver screen or a white screen or a gray screen, and uh, it, it really helped to get some uh, some nice pictures of my my son uh, and get some some. Uh, uh, sun bouncing, uh, bouncing in, and get some shadows away from from his face. It it really gave a nice effect, and uh, it's not all that ex- expensive.
1: I'm imagining it's not the most portable thing in the world.
3: It's it's pretty it's pretty small because yeah. you can fold it up. Uh, it's it's, I think it's. Uh, uh, the, the the total is, uh, I think, one meter uh, and one and a half meter if, if it's folded out. But you can just fold it in and fit it into a small uh, small bag. It fits in my backpack, so uh, oh, it's wow. not all that big.
0: Oh, I hope there's going to be a link in the show notes to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah. I'll send you a beer cozy picture. To
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so mine may not –
2: it's not totally cheap, but it's not crazy expensive. Um I have purchased from a company called Hoodman um, a little loop, which is a magnifier with a covering on it that will um, you put over the LCD screen of your camera so that during when I take pictures in very bright light, sometimes it's very, very hard to see yeah. the screen to see if I got the shot. And the loop helps magnify the image, so you put your eye to it, sort of like a viewfinder in a movie camera. Um, so you put it over the screen, you're able to enlarge it maybe two times, and you can see all the details on the screen, all the information, and you can see the picture pretty well. They're they can be like a hundred bucks, um, so but there's probably companies that make less expensive versions of it. And you can, it's also very good if you're going to use your camera to film to make movies as well, because then you can put this eye cup over your eye, and you can be able to see the screen um, while you're shooting. So. Um, I wouldn't call it cheap, but I find it incredibly useful um, for checking details and pictures when I'm in the bright sunlight. And it actually helps when I'm shooting at night too. Um, do you keep
0: it on all the time, or do you take it off? No,
2: no. I, there's a um, Hoodman makes you can you can just have it like a loop. My my friend hangs it around his neck, and when he takes a picture, he just sort of puts the the camera screen to the the loop to the camera screen. They also sell a little adapter that goes onto the hot shoe of a a DSLR, um, Mm -hmm. and it sort of articulates, and then it connects the loop and presses it against the screen. And it's got controls where you can flip the loop out of the way in case you want to use the optical viewfinder, but you can always snap it back into place. Oh, that's Um, clever. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I I think it works with any camera that has a a hot shoe on it. So uh, Hoodman sells them. Um, there are a lot more expensive ones that you can buy, and there's probably cheaper ones that you can buy. But but the loop itself is you know two times magnification. So and and, oh, nice. and because you can dial it in for your own your you know if you have a prescription you can dial it in for your own eyes. That would
0: be really nice for nighttime photography too, wouldn't it, Bart?
1: It, well, they would to check focus. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. That's I, I exactly. used it for
2: focus. Yeah, when I was shooting with some stars and I was enlarging, and it, like, it was really hard to see the screen. Um, so. Magnifying it did help. Yeah, that sounds so. cool. Although it does blind your eye. <laughs> I mean, yeah. maybe you could, if you're using it at night, maybe you could put a red filter over it so it doesn't whack your your night vision. Well, you'll
1: only break one eye, but you'll that's true. You, yeah. You'll be stumbling around a bit where one eye can see nothing and the other eye can see everything. Looking looking through the moon, looking at the moon through a telescope has the same effect. It is the weirdest feeling in the world when you're half blind. <laughs>
0: It looks like they're made for 3.2-inch LCD displays.
1: Yeah,
2: which I'm is at more or less what most cameras have.
0: Is it?
1: Yeah, it's about the size of an old iPhone.
2: Anyway, uh, did they say the price? Uh,
0: 80, 80 bucks on their site, but it's out of stock, and at B&H it was 90 bucks. Yeah. yeah. But in stock.
1: Allison, if you have a link there handy, would you be so kind as to pop it into the chat room?
0: I will. I'll give you the out-of-stock one. Oh, great. (laughs) Well, just, I mean, just so you see the real, it's hoodmanusa.com, so I'll send that in.
1: And then I will stick both of those links into the show notes. And uh, speaking of show notes, you'll find them over at lets-talk.ie. The other thing you'll find over at lets-talk.ie is a button to submit questions for a question and answer show, because I'd like to do one either December or January. I think we, we should have some questions together. So we have a few questions in the bank already, but if any, anyone out there has any other questions, big questions, little questions, you know, be creative, you know, no such thing as a dumb question and all that. So if you go to let's-talk.ie and click on the link to submit a question, or if you just go to the shortcut URL, let's-talk.ie forward slash photo that will redirect you to the forum as well.
0: I hope some other people do it because I'm getting afraid that people are thinking this is the answer Allison's questions. <laughs> there are a
1: lot of your questions. That is, that is true. That's because so I'm always some other question. people in the bank. Um, I have, I have some other ones in, in the queue. It's not really good, a queue good. because I sort of pick and choose the ones that make me go, ooh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, I pick and choose the ones I think will have really good conversations. Um, but I'm not quite flooded in them. So please do send them in. Um, the other thing you'll find over there is two large blue buttons that say support the show. Uh, one of those large blue buttons takes you to, our, the, the, to my page on Patreon, which is a really cool service that lets you become a patron of the arts for the 21st century. So there is that you pledge a small amount of money for every show I produce, and assuming I produce it, then the money is paid to me. And if I don't produce it, I don't get nothing, which is pretty good motivation for me to do the show. Um, and the other button Can I make is, a plug for that, Bart? Can you make a plug for that if you like? Yeah.
0: Yeah, if if you guys are listening and you're liking the content and you're really liking the fact that there wasn't an ad plopped into the middle of the show, consider giving to his Patreon because that's how it's working without ads. Is because he has this Patreon, and I mean, you know, fifty cents. Come on, you know, fifty cents a show. The great thing, like Bart said, is if he doesn't get a show out, you don't pay. So he's really motivated to get the content out because he doesn't get any money if it doesn't uh, if it doesn't come out. So I think Patreon's a spectacular model, and I'm glad to see you're using it and it's getting some traction.
1: Well, it has another really good advantage, right? Because if you click on the PayPal button that's also there, and you donate a, a dollar, 74 cents of that dollar goes to PayPal for their fees, and I get 26 cents. Whatever way the math works to make that work. Whereas if you donate 50 cents via Patreon, pay, PayPal still get a fee, but it's one fee off the total amount for the month, which means that of your 50 cents, I'm probably getting at least 45 so it's no, that is interesting
0: because that depends on on where you are. Because I get ninety seven percent of whatever goes to PayPal.
1: Wow, I did. Yeah, I never get that. I no, it doesn't work like that for me at all. I wish I could why, right, right. but it really doesn't work like that for me. Um, it's the the fees are a big deal when you click the donate button. Um, so you know. $5 donations, the vast majority comes to me, $1 donations I see almost nothing of. So it, it, PayPal really are not a good way to send small amounts of money, which is why Patreon is such a joy, because those $0.50 cents are genuinely useful through Patreon. And Plus, I, and it's I,
0: an awesome show and you should donate. Yes, thank you. Um, or complain like I do.
1: <laughs> well, no, all feedback is good, right? <laughs> Although there is a downside. If you, if you make a really eloquent complaint, I may ask you to be on the show, which is probably a bonus. <laughs> Anyway, thank you very much to the panel. Um, I really appreciate you guys giving your time month after month to come here and be interesting for people. So thank you for that. Um, I don't remember what order we did the introductions, so I won't pretend to do them in the reverse order. Um, Alison, where can people find more of you when you're not here?
0: I do the No Sell-A-Cast podcast, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Macintosh bias. Uh, I can normally hit that note and it's over at podfeet.com and one of the main reasons you want to go listen to that is because every other week Bart Boosh Schatz is on the show uh, doing whatever, as I like to say, blows his dress up to have a conversation about in the tech world. I would like to point out I don't wear dresses. <laughs> <laughs> but you might have a big girl camera. and uh, And on Twitter, I am podfeet.
1: Uh, P-O-D-double-F-E-T.
0: Stefan, 1-F-double-E-T. Did I get that
1: wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Double-F-E-T. Sorry. (laughs) Stefan, where do you hang out when you're not here?
3: Well, you can find uh, our Dutch uh, tech podcast at tech45.eu and uh, if you want to find uh, more uh, about me, you can always uh, try on Twitter or on Facebook or on any uh, social media. It's uh, under my name, Stefan Lassage, S-T-E-F-A-N-L-E-S-A-G-E.
1: Excellent. Now, before I let Antonio plug himself, I'm going to plug Antonio's show. So, mm. Antonio and Tom do Switch to Manual, which is a cool website, and they do really cool like in-person physical stuff in New York. So, if you're going to be around there, that's cool. But you guys started a podcast, and I think it's really cool. I've yes, inspired the your by back episodes. Yeah,
2: inspired by you and uh Allison after, after all the podcasts that we were on. Well, so, what I we love, haven't pl-
1: What I love about podcasting is that everyone brings something unique to the table. So although both yourself and Tom come on this show, when you guys do a show, it's completely different. And yeah. I, I love that about podcasting.
2: Yeah, we're Tom and I talk a lot about photography while we're having coffee a lot. And we thought, let's just bring that, you know, to as many people as we can. And so we try to have little short conversations. We we just posted our fifth episode. Um, Yay. Yeah. Mm. And uh, I have the sixth one in the can. That will probably go up next week. Um, and we want to talk about, like, you know, not, again, the technical part of photography, although we do bring that up, but more about what goes into making pictures what, what, what you do about making pictures and, and Switch to Manual is all about like our idea is that we want to teach people to go back to the manual controls of their camera because once you know how to use the manual controls you can use the automatic controls and understand what the camera is doing and you will have more control over what kind of pictures you want so our idea is like well let's take those and like how do we you know how do you use that to make to create the kind of imagery that you want to create so because we're in New York we call it street shots the, the podcast called street shots
1: so I, I you guys have a really good rapport with each other and the conversations come off really well so i would highly recommend people listen 20, 20 minutes of great photo talk nice little bite-sized chunks I, I really think the podcast has great potential so keep it up don't pod fade
2: thank you
0: Mark. <laughs> yeah yeah um and that's switch space to space manual and or you can search on street shots two words I tried them both wrong. That's yeah. why I'm, I'm telling them that people the right way to do it. That's a good point, yeah.
1: actually, because I initially didn't find the podcast in Downcast because I used the digit 2, like the Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then when I put in the letters T O, I found it straight away.
2: Yeah. So then that's our website, switch2manual.com, which we also have the podcast there. Yes. And, uh, yeah, on Twitter and on Instagram, we are switch the numeral 2 manual. I had to save that one character.
1: Hey, you only have 140 of them.
2: 140, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're big Facebook people, so uh, come and join us on Facebook. And um, we just did a photo walk in a historic area called Greenwood Cemetery. So we posted a bunch of pictures there. Um, so we want to share pictures and our stories on Facebook as well. So we like Facebook. Cool.
1: So join us there. Yeah. I don't like Facebook so if you want to join in with this show we have a google plus group where with the shiny green let's talk photography logo so you'll spot it easy enough it's called let's talk photography no it's called let's talk podcast because both of the shows are there and we also have a Flickr group which is let's talk photography um and so if any of our listeners take pictures just share them on the, the let's talk photography group and then we can all enjoy each other's work and with that i think we've Prattled on long enough—an hour and twenty-six minutes. That is a new record. Anyway, thank you for listening. I've been your host, Bart Bouchat's. You could find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy snapping.
0: You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. <coughs> <coughs>
1: Hey, Tim. Huh? Tim, we are going to do the show? Oh, I'm, dude, I'm playing Boba Fett pinball, man. But, Tim, it's time for us to record Tech Fan. Well, this is about... Oh, dang it. Oh, I went in the Sarlacc pit. I hate when that happens. Um, Tim, Tim I? I know you like pinball, but oh, we need yeah. to do our show. We okay. need to talk about technology okay. and gadgets no, and even video pinball. games, even pinball. No, and, oh, did you say something about pinball? Yeah, I did, but you weren't listening. Hmm. I think I'm gonna oh Yeah. Uh. TechFat. I think it's gonna be a solo show. Go bubble foot. Oh. Huh?
2: I'm sorry. I'll put this down. What?
1: Let's record a show.
2: It's the Tech Fan Podcast, right here on the Stoplight Network.